0: I'm excited to uh, start a new book. We're in the book of Colossians. If you brought your Bible, turn along with us. Uh, we'll have it on the screen as well. Um, so what are some reasons that we might write a letter? So what, what are some reasons we might write a letter? Uh, go ahead and go to the next slide there. We can see we might write a letter for a greeting or an introduction. We might write a letter for encouragement to try to encourage someone around us. We might write a letter of, of thankfulness. You know, somebody's done something for us, or we're just thankful for them as people. Uh, we might write a letter of joy. We might write a letter of even rebuke or warning. You know, may, maybe it's a, a more serious letter than that. Today, we're going to start studying through a letter that Paul wrote to a church called Colossae. Uh, this is actually a church that he didn't even get to visit personally, as far as we understand. But yet, for all, but, yeah, he wrote this letter for all the above reasons that we discussed, and we're going to get into much of this. This letter is written because he received news from a beloved brother that we're going to get to know a little bit today as well, uh, Apiphras. And he writes this letter as both an encouragement and also an admonishment to this church. Let's go ahead and just start reading verses 1 through 8 in Colossians 1. Join me in the reading of God's word. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace and peace to you, and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints. Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before the word of the truth, the gospel which has become to you, or which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you since the day you, you heard it and understood the grace of God and truth. Just as you learned it from Epiphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word, God. Please don't open up our hearts and our minds to hear it, May it change us from the inside out, God. May we be open to hearing it. God, I know that we come with a lot of things in our lives. God, we've got a new year. There's all kinds of things going on in our our culture and our world. I know there's all kinds of things we might be concerned about or or worried about or anxious about, God. And I just pray that we're able to lay all of that at the foot of the cross right now and that we're able to to just openly hear your word and receive it, God. Thank you for uh, the church gathering. Thank you for the body. God, thank you for the fellowship. We love you, praise you, and thank you. Amen. So, although this letter will eventually get into a lot of the heresies of the church in Colossae that were being taught by some false teachers, today we actually start with a greeting of prayer and thanksgiving uh, to this church. And Paul teaches us uh, about three ways that we can love and serve the church fellowship. For the, so, the first one here is, here is as Christ followers, we should love and serve the church fellowship with thankful hearts. With thankful hearts. And I'm going to re- reread these uh, first three verses. Together. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy our brother to the saints and faithful brothers in, in Christ at Colossae. Grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you. So obviously we see that this letter is written by who? Paul, right, with the help of Timothy, right? And and we can see in this letter that, that Timothy most likely didn't write this letter. Paul Paul wrote this letter. Timothy was a compadre, a, a companion, a, a mentee of Paul, and maybe helped with scribing, but we see Paul go to more of a first-person, singular, I throughout the letter after this first little section here, and so we know that, that Paul uh, is the one that, that, that writes this letter, and he calls himself an apostle, which means he's one that is sent out, and we are apostles that are sent out too, but there's a big difference. There's big A apostles. We've talked about this in the past. And there's little A apostles. We are messengers. We are those who are sent out on behalf of God to tell the world the gospel, right? Well, Paul was physically, uh, physically saw the resurrected state of Christ. So to be a big A apostle in the early church, you had to witness the resurrected Christ. And Paul had been converted personally by Jesus Christ. And you can get into that this week if you want to read Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 19. We see the miraculous appearance of uh, of Christ to paul the blind the blinding of the road to Damascus so we see that and so he was chosen by the will of God and he not only was an apostle by the will of God a big a apostle the one of those who are sent out who who writes the Word of God who performs miraculous deeds in order to propagate the movement of the church but he also wrote this book based on the will of God it wasn't oh I really want to convict these people who are making errors, they're making mistakes, or I really want to give them a big hug by a letter. I want to let them know how great I think they are and how happy I am that they came to a saving knowledge of Christ. Now He writes this letter by the will of God. So as we read the words here, Brother Jim just really set us up really well to have that in growth group today. Uh, is, as we read these words, these aren't the words of Paul. These are the words of God himself writing to the church of Colossae. How important is that to know? And we see this in Second Peter 1, 20 through 21. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy, meaning the, the Word of God here is what this is meaning, was, was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. These words we read in this letter are the words of God himself, and may we take them as such. And as we study the Bible, may we see that. Next week, we're introduced to, to Timothy in this verse, first verse here. Timothy is a wonderful example of someone who is being mentored by somebody else. And we talk about this a lot at Point. We talk about mentoring and doing life together and discipleship and growing together and sharpening one another. How important is that? We can't do this life on islands. We, we can't be like, okay, I go to church on Sunday, but I, I'm not plugged into anyone else in the body the rest of the week. This culture is much too evil. This world is much too evil for us to be sheep by ourselves. We get picked off so easy when we're all by ourselves. And so we need to be having somebody who is mentoring us, who we're walking with, we're learning from. We have people that we're walking with, maybe on the same spiritual level as us. We have people that we are helping and we're discipling as well. Something I've learned is the times I learn the most, a lot of times where I'm discipling someone else. Because when they start to ask you questions, I know just with having children, my, my daughter, when she was four, said, why does God allow pain? All right, good luck, parents. Uh, anybody, anybody else have like a knot in their throat when they heard that? It's like, okay, that's a really tough question. Let's go ahead and open up C.S. Lewis, C.S. Lewis's book, The Problem of Pain, and we are open the scriptures, and we're going to try to figure this out, right? When, they start, when you have people asking you questions, it makes you realize that you haven't arrived as far as you think you've arrived. Uh, kids are really good to ask those questions that sometimes are so simple that they're hard you know, those questions like that, and you're just like, you know, it's oh, a simple, no, it's a really deep question. It, it hits the heart. Uh, why does, why did God allow me to lose this person? Why did God allow my, my pet fish to die? Why did God allow my hamster to die? Why, why did God allow my dog to pass away? Why did God allow my grandmother? You know, all, we see death, and so why does God allow pain? And those are the things that really are hard to answer and require walking through the fire with somebody and helping them through those issues. But in order to to do that. We have to be walking together. I was talking to a friend of mine this past week who's a pastor, and we were talking a little bit about how to get people to do life together. And here's the thing. Everybody wants somebody there when they lose somebody. Nobody wants to mourn all by themselves most of the time. Now, you may want some time alone. You may want that. But, but everybody wants to know they have somebody they can call if they lose that job, and they can they can talk about it. They, they, they want to know they have somebody that they can call if, if there's some kind of struggle in their life, or there's a financial need, or there's this. But in order to have that somebody, you have to be that somebody. And so I pray that as we see here with Paul and Timothy, they are doing life together. Paul is mentoring Timothy. Timothy is there for Paul, and they're doing life together. So I pray that we, we don't miss that lesson that we see there just right off the bat here. And in verse 2, we see who this letter is addressed to, the church of Colossae, right? So we have just seen who it's from, from Paul, with, with Timothy, Timothy's help there. And now we're seeing that it's a greeting to the church of Colossae. And he says that they are the saints and faithful brothers. And this word "saints" actually uh, comes—the Greek word is "hagios," and it means holy, set apart. And actually, it means sanctuary. Uh, it means to be set apart as believers. And so, who were these set apart believers in Colossae? Well, let's see. I think there's a map coming up. Let's pull it up here. So this is the—you can't really see anything—but uh, Ephesus is over here. I just wanted you to see that Ephesus, Philadelphia. And oh, we got Colossae over here. Going go to go the next one, and we'll zoom in for for our eyes to be able to see here. So we see there, there are three cities that are pretty close together. Colossae, Laodicea, Hierapolis. You may remember Laodicea, as you see in Revelation. We see that throughout. And here's Colossae. Well, so uh, this map is kind of tough to see, but actually Hier- Hierapolis and Laodicea were a little closer together than Colossae. This scales a little bit off. Colossae is actually about 12 miles from them, and they're about six miles from each other, if we're really looking. And Colossae was actually a very prominent city in the 5th century BC. Black wolves and, and dyes, and they were really known. But something happened. The Roman roads diverted from there and went to Laodicea. So Laodicea became the big city. And by the time Paul's writing this letter, uh, Colossae is pretty much a, a podunk town. Uh, it's a West Virginia place. You know, it's, oh, okay, it's Tate's Valley, you know, Buffalo, Eleanor, You know, I live in LR, so I can say. Uh, So, you know, it it was not the most renowned city. It was kind of irrelevant in that. And I was talking to a buddy of mine, uh, Pastor Josh, who who preached on this, and he kind of compared Colossae to a West Virginia town. And I really, really agreed with him on that. Uh, Frankly, we can even somewhat uh, figure out the, the diversion of roads as people from other states oftentimes try to avoid our state because the roads are tough. And so they're like, oh, we'll go through Kentucky or we'll go around this way, right? We, we, we know what that's like to, to be kind of neglected as a state. Uh, we, we know what it's like to, ne- to somewhat be outcast. But the blessing of this letter to this podunk church, this, this church out in the middle of nowhere, actually in the mountains, you know, we kind of see there, it's even very similar as far as the terrain. This church God cares about. He cares enough about it to write a letter that becomes part of the Bible. So we're hearing this, and we think of Colossae as this great place because it's in the Bible, right? So it must be this big metropolis. It must be this really important, pivotal city for the kingdom of God. But back then, people were like, no, this is, nobody goes to Colossae. What would you go to Colossae for? You know, why, why, why would you drive to Eleanor? Why would you drive to Buffalo? What are you going to go do? You know, and th- that's how people thought there. But God was very, 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 uh, concerned about this church, and his concern comes out that we get to read about it some 2,000 years later. He cares about churches in even more rural areas than where we're at. He cares about churches no matter what continent, what country, what city, where they're at. God cares about us all as believers in all of our churches, even this small church plant meeting in a trendy shopping center, right? Uh, So he, he cares about us, right? So many versions, we look at this verse, this third verse here, Put this word always before the phrase praying for you. And I think the ESV hits this on the head a little better with we always thank God. Uh, when we pray, we don't always pray for, for the same people, especially these people Paul's actually never even met before. So so I think it's, it's we need to always be thanking God. We need to always be praying. We need to be praying continuously, right? Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. We see in First Thessalonians 5. 16 through 18 here, right? Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God and Christ Jesus for you. Paul's going to also be hitting some some big Christology. That means the study of Christ. And this, this book is one of the best books if you want to study who Christ is in the scriptures. And I'm really excited to be able to get into the rest of this chapter and chapter two especially that goes in. And we kind of get a hint of that right here. Because what does he say in verse 3? You can go to the next one here. It says, we always thank God, who? The Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we always thank God for which which God are we talking about? You know, a lot of people use the word God. And they make it, they say it, and it's just esoteric spiritual being that's higher than us. But Paul wants them to know, hey, we're talking about the God, the real God, Yahweh. God made flesh. Even we're talking about the the Father, but the Father of who? We're talking about the Father of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The Godhead three in one, right? The the Trinity. He is clear what God he is talking about. Now I just want us to take one step back, and I want us to just focus on Paul for a second here. So Paul, uh, if you if you were with us when we studied the book of Philippians, we 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 realized that Paul was placed in prison three distinct times, and we see the first one was in Caesarea, the next one was Rome, and the last one was in Rome. Acts chapter 28, uh, we, we end the book of Acts with his second imprisonment, and he actually did get out for a couple of years after that. And it was during the second imprisonment that he wrote Philippians, as we went through, and he also wrote Colossians, Philemon, and Ephesians most likely in this time period. And it's really important to understand that when Paul's writing these letters of thankfulness, he's in prison that things aren't really that great for him. We kind of talked about this a little bit in Philippians. So it seems kind of counterintuitive that he starts this letter off with thanks. And he starts this letter off focusing on the church of Colossae. I mean, most of us, if we wrote a letter from prison, what would be the first thing that we say? Pray that I get out. Come on, you know, pray that the, you know, I know God's done this before. I remember Peter, man, he just opened up and people walked out. You know, pray that I get out. Pray that the chains are broken. Pray that I'm freed. I don't want to be here. But that's not what he does. He prays for this church. And I want us to kind of just just read over this as I read it here. Thankfulness removes our mind from being on ourselves and changes our focus to being on the Lord. Paul, instead of self-loathing and being all about his situation, Being all about, oh man, it stinks to be me. You know, here I am. I've done this. I've done this. I've wrote these different books. I've the Bible. I've I've went all over on these missionary journeys a couple of times here. Like I've done all these things. I've been shipwrecked. I've been left for dead. I've been stoned. I've been whipped. I've been. And and this is what this is the reward I get. God, I'm in prison. You know what? That's not how he goes. Because why? He's thankful for what he sees the Lord continuing to do, and he's thankful for hearing that, these, that there are believers in this church that he never even started. So, you know, a lot, a lot of the churches were, were planted by him, that he actually was the guy that worked and got it started, and then were, were able to hand it over. But this was a church that was special. This was a, a church plant that was from another guy. Another, so somebody that, he, that, that got converted, and, and likely in Ephesus, we'll talk about a little bit uh, later while he was there, Epiphras goes and plants this church. So this is a special church for him, and he's thankful, and he's focused on others instead of himself. We can learn a lot. When we think of others, it frees us from the confines of our own circumstances, our own struggles. Paul shows us here that the best cure for self-loathing is focusing first and foremost on the greatness and goodness of God and thankfulness, and then focusing on the needs of others. And next we see, as Christ's followers, we should love and serve the church fellowship with faithful hope with faithful hope. Join me as I read verses 4 through 6. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before the world, of, or the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of truth. So, frankly, like most of the section is one run-on sentence. So if you catch yourself, it's really hard to read this. It's because in the Greek, Paul did this a lot in the beginning of his letters especially. There there were no punctuations, really. Like he would just, boom. It was like just word salad, just go, go right at you. And he says a lot of stuff here. But I'm going to break this down to make it a little bit easier for you, and it's in your handout. We're going to talk about what he really just said so that we get it. Uh, we're going to see him talk about the Colossian church and how they started with faith and how they moved to grace. And we're going to kind of kind of work through that here for a second. So number one, uh, we see here, the gospel starts with faith in Jesus Christ alone. The gospel starts with faith in Jesus Christ alone. Colossians 1, 4. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. So let's start with the first element of the gospel. The gospel must start with faith. It is the foundation of the gospel. The Greek for this word is, is pistis. And this word means to be persuaded that something is true. It's not a, a blind leap of faith. It's not something like that. It is a true saving faith that's marked by obedience. It's not an intellectual climb to a higher understanding. It's not that we arrive and we work really hard and arrive to this, this faith. A gift from God. It's founded on the one in whom salvation comes, Jesus Christ. And that is the only place that faith, true faith can come from. John 14, 6, as we've said many times, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And as, as I've said time and time again, as Brother Jims even said just during his prayer here, as we heard during Growth Group this morning, Jesus Christ is the only way. He is the only way of salvation. Jesus Christ came some 2,000 years ago. God made flesh and dwelt among us, a sinless, perfect life. He died on the cross for your sins and my sins. He rose from the dead some three days later, and now he's the only way, the only way of eternal life. The gospel starts with faith in Jesus Christ alone, which leads to hope, is the next word there in your handout. The gospel starts with faith in Jesus Christ alone, which leads to hope. Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, we see in verse 5. So this faith is based, or is based on a definitive hope. Uh, faith and hope actually go hand in hand. You really don't have one without the other. And this word hope, we, we use it about all kinds of stuff. I hope it doesn't rain today. I hope that I get a bonus from work. I hope that they're nice to me. I hope, and we use this, eh, those are just kind of wishes. We use that word more like I wish, uh, you know. But actually, the hope, scriptural version of hope is an assured hope. It's an assurance. And we see that in Hebrews 11.1. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. That is true hope. Moving on, the gospel starts with, we see here as we walk through these, these sections, starts with faith in Jesus Christ alone, which leads to hope. But where is it founded? Founded on the word of truth. The word of truth. So we just saw in Colossians 1 Five, Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard uh, before in, what, the word of truth, the gospel. So, biblical faith and hope are founded on the gospel, the word of truth, the Bible, and the one who is the word, Jesus Christ, right? So, so we can, people can have faith and hope, but it has to be founded on On the word of truth. It has to be founded on the Bible and on Christ Jesus, our Lord. John 1 1, we see in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word what? Was God. Our our hope and our faith must be founded on the solid rock of Jesus Christ. And how do we know who Jesus Christ is? His word. And that's why it says that he is the word. Moving on, so the gospel starts with faith and Jesus Christ alone, which leads to hope founded on the word of truth, which bears fruit. Which bears fruit we see here which is come verse six Colossians 1:6 says which has come to you and indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing so the gospel bears fruit in the lives of believers here we see that the gospel is reaching the world it's moving outward and it even reached the church of Colossae. we see Paul ex- expound upon this idea of bearing fruit and we'll see a little more in our next message uh, Colossians 1:10 so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Friends, true saving faith in the gospel results in fruit bearing. There is a change when somebody's saved. We see in John 3 that that you are born again. The old has gone and the new has come. There is a transformation and there is fruit that comes from a true saving faith. And finally, we see the gospel starts with faith in Jesus Christ alone, which leads to hope, founded on the word of truth, which bears fruit and results in grace-filled living. We see at the end of verse 6, Since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Truth and grace, so important. One is not more important than the other. They both are extremely important. And we see here Paul talk about this grace-filled living in 2 Corinthians 8, 7 as well. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. So as you grow as believers, we should continue to bear fruit. We should see the fruit of the Spirit. We should see things coming out of you that are fruitful. And we should also see grace. Grace is unmerited favor, grace is what we receive from God. Right? We don't deserve heaven. We, don't deserve, we deserve hell. We don't deserve to be saved. But, but God has given us grace through Jesus Christ and him alone. And we see in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, Right, we've been saved by grace through faith, not by works so that no man can boast. Grace is unmerited favor. It means that we don't deserve it. And when you have received that kind of grace, when you've placed your faith and hope founded on Jesus Christ and his word, and you've received that grace, and you realize I deserve hell, but he's giving me heaven. I I deserve judgment, but he is giving me love and grace and eternal life. It should naturally flow to others. Our our lives should be marked by grace-filled living. Frankly, in this actual verse that I just read from 2 Corinthians, in context, it actually talks about financial generosity is what it's talking about in that. Our, Our grace should be in all aspects of our lives. We should be gracious, and forgiveness to others. We should be gracious in our generosity with our finances, with our stuff to others. We should be generous with our time to others. We should be grace-filled. So the question is, what are these five fundamental elements of the gospel? Uh, What do we do with them? You know, uh, Paul's just kind of broken down the the Colossian church and how they went from faith and now they're at grace and how they've worked through this process. And he just kind of just blew it up within a couple of verses here. So what do we do with that? And I think that leaves us with a few questions that we can personally look at ourselves. And the first one is, where is your faith and where is your hope placed? Charles Spurgeon illustrated the importance of the object of our faith by telling a story about two men that were caught in the rapids. And, and they're, they're trying to swim. They're, they're trying to survive. And they're like, ah, oh, you know, I, we need saved. And, and this rope flies out and one man grabs it and gets pulled to shore by some men that are on the side. The other man he sees something that's more sturdy than a rope. He sees a huge log, and it just looks sturdy. That looks safe. Let me grab on it. Well, that man continues to go and goes over the waterfall and is never seen again, whereas the other man comes to safety. And friends, he illustrated that to let us know that sometimes what looks like the, the tangible thing in life, maybe it's our money, Uh, maybe it's our good works, maybe, you know what, I know I'm a natural, I'm just a pretty good guy, right? And so if I do this and this and this, that's probably what I should hold on to. Uh, Or, you know what, this person, uh, you know, Kevin, I love Kevin, I'll just grasp onto him, I can feel him, I can see him right here, he seems like an upstanding guy, I'm going to do what he does. You know, there's all kinds of things we can grasp a hold of, ourselves, others, stuff, but just like that illustration that Charles Spurgeon said, Everything is heading to a waterfall, and it will all go over. Only the rope, only that life vest, only what, what Jesus Christ gives us, only by grace. And you know what? When you grab a hold of that, there, there's no work that you're doing, right? Those men pulled that guy out. He was helpless. He was floating. To, to All he had to do, just grab it. And they did all the work, just like salvation, right? Jesus did all the work for us. We're, we're going down these rapids, there's a waterfall, it's called hell, and we will all end up over that waterfall. We can grab onto a big, sturdy, huge log, and we can be like, oh, this looks great, let's hold on to this, look how sturdy. It still ends in the same way. It still ends over the waterfall, it still ends in hell. But friends, we have that life raft, that, that beautiful grace that God has given us, that we just have to grab onto. He did all the work he, he reached in. He reached in. He went, reached into the pit of hell and took the keys of death. He took the weight of that. He did all the work to, to drag us out of what we deserved. He took all the punishment that we deserved on that cross. Everything else will lead to ruin. This workspace belief that you can do it on your own, that you can swim. Maybe, maybe if you just swim really, really hard, you can make it to shore. You can get out of the rapids. Friends. It's just nothing more than a lie from the enemy of our souls. There is nothing that you can do to save yourself. There is no one other than Christ that can save you. There is no other God, idol, whatever it is. There's no no amount of money, no amount of good works. Nothing like that can save us. Self-righteousness, money, pleasures, power, worldly philosophies, they will all end up over the waterfall. Number two, what is your life founded upon? And when you think of why you do what you do, where do you go for direction? Who do you go to for direction? Is it your mom or dad? Is it your brother or sister? Is it, now, believers can be great. Don't get me wrong. But, where, but who's your number one? Is it, is it God? Is it the Word of God? Do, do you ask God what His opinion is first? Or is it somebody else? Or is it some, something else? Or is it yourself? This is how I feel. So I'm going to go with that. Only the Word of God will last. Only the one who is the Word will last. And number three, are you bearing fruit and living a grace-filled life? It's a tough question, isn't it? We love to get grace. We love to kind of get off the hook. We love when somebody, when we mess up and somebody says, I forgive you. That's great. But we don't like to be that one that does that. It's tough. It hurts a little bit. It feels like we're letting them off, you know, but they deserve to suffer for what they did. We don't want to let them off the hook. But brothers and sisters, we've been let off the biggest hook if we are a believer. We deserved hell, and God gave us heaven, and we did not do anything to deserve that. We must be marked by the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, right? These are qualities that should mark believers that have the indwelling Holy Spirit that's in us. Do you extend grace to others? Do you assume the best, or do you assume the worst? When somebody does something, and this is the worst in families, you know, somebody says something, well, you just assume, no, they, they meant they meant that evil. They meant that in a bad way. I, I know they were trying to, they were gunning for me. I know they remembered this thing I did five years ago, and so that's why they said what they said. And we assume this negative. Wow, is, is that where we're at? That's not grace. That is not gracious. I always say we need to assume the best, right? And then if it's the worst, we deal with it at that point, and we talk about it. But we need to be quick to forgive and show grace to others because he has been quick to forgive and showing grace to us. Brothers and sisters, as Christ followers, we should love and serve the church fellowship with thankful hearts, faithful hope, and finally, with helping hands. Join me as I read 7 and 8 here. Just as you learned learned it from Epiphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. In this final section, we see an early church pastor that's introduced to us. He's a church planner, actually, which is kind of neat being a church plant ourselves. Really cool to see this guy. So Pastor Epaphras has been a faithful minister to Christ, we see here. He's worked hard to equip the church with the knowledge of who Jesus is, to, to, with the knowledge of doctrine, of, of salvation. And he's obviously reached out to Paul to let him know what was going on in this church, both good and bad. And we'll, we'll see some of that as we move through the letter. But he has a huge heart for this church as he lovingly serves them and ministers to them and we can learn a lot about Epaphras's ministry here so first off we we think we're pretty sure that he got saved during Paul's ministry in Ephesus in Acts chapter 19 and what he did is he didn't just take that ministry or take take that gospel tuck it away and then oh, I got my I got my get out of hell free card i I've, I've I, I've done I've made my conversion, I'm good. I'm not gonna go tell anybody else about it, you know. I'm not gonna do No, instead he took that good news and he went and he preached. He preached it to others. And he spread that gospel. And he got he spread it so much that so many people got saved that they actually, as God would sovereignly have it, they planted a church in another man's house named Philemon, who you'll see Paul wrote a letter to as well in the Bible that made that as well. And they they so so how wonderful is it to see Philemon, who got saved under Paul's uh, ministry, and now we have Epiphras, who got saved under Paul's ministry, who joined together through God's sovereignty and, plant, and and be able to start this church in Colossae. So he he served them with helping hands as a faithful minister. He was faithful to Christ, he was faithful to Paul and Timothy, we see here, and he was faithful to the Colossians. Friends, the best way we can love and serve the church fellowship, as well as the Lord, is living faithfully. That is such a wonderful word. But, but what exactly does it mean to be faithful? And I want to end with, with, with just what it means to be faithful here. So join me and look at your handout here. So being faithful means to be loyal, steadfast, and have perseverance. To be faithful, st- loyal, steadfast, and have perseverance. It means to not stray from the truth and to keep the faith. It means to be trustworthy. It means to have steady, an unchanging character. Steady and unchanging character. As we come to, to come to a close, may we strive for that kind of faithfulness. Uh, the, the kind of faithfulness we see from both Paul and Epaphras as, as they love the church in Colossae. And we've been blessed to be able to see their heart for this church. We've seen the hard work that's been put, put in by Paul and Epaphras, especially Epaphras with planting this church, with, with growing this church from nothing to now also we have believers, we have a church that's mean together. These men continue to spend their time ministering to others despite their struggles. We see in the book of Philemon that Epaphras actually ends up being a fellow prisoner with Paul for at least a certain amount of time. So they both understood what it was like to have consequences for their actions. They, they, they ministered and they suffered for it. But yet they continue to love the body of Christ. And when in poverty or, with, or whether they were doing okay, they were reminded of the riches they had in Jesus Christ. I pray that we can be like these two men, that we can learn from this, that we serve the church fellowship, that we serve one another, that we love one another and with thankful hearts, with faithful hope, and with helping hands. And may we do it faithfully as we continue to work through the power of Christ, not by our own power, not by our own works, because obviously if you've tried that very long like I have, you find out that it doesn't last too long if you're doing it by your own works, but through the power of Christ that works in us. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the book of Colossians that you you thought enough of this small church, this this church in the middle of nowhere, you thought enough of them to, to, to write this letter to them. God, thank you that you think enough of us to be concerned about us and to love us and that you're with us, that you're walking with us, that you're directing us, God. And God, I pray for our standpoint that we follow you, that we listen to you, that we're in your word, that we're in prayer, and that we're seeking your will and not our own. God, I pray that you be with this church fellowship, that you, that you grow us not only numerically, but, but even more so that you grow us in spirit and in truth and in grace and in truth. Help us be a church that is marked by a, a belief in your literal word, uh, that, that, that we hold it in high esteem, that we love you, that you are number one, that our culture always takes a back seat to you and the gospel and your word. But may we also be known as a church that loves, not just the church that beats people with the Bible and says, don't do this, do this, don't do this, but that we love others, and that we point people to you, because we know that we can't do it either. God, that we, we know that we struggle, that we're imperfect, that, that we don't have it all together, so how are we to not be graceful to others? So God, may we be a church marked by both grace and truth, but may we be a people marked by grace and truth, and help us as we go throughout this week to faithfully serve you and to love you. We love you. It's in your awesome name we pray, and amen.